Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you have called us out of darkness into light. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for your spirit. We thank you that um, by your grace, we can know you through your word and your spirit. And we ask this morning that you would be among us, that you would uh, keep the one who teaches from error, that you would open the eyes of the hearts of those who hear your truth, that it might not merely be something that's understood to be factually correct, but that it would be life-changing, that it would motivate us uh, to reflect the character of the one who saved us, our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we now pray. Amen. Amen. So this morning we're going to be talking about uh, faith expressed in active obedience. That's the uh, sort of the title that's been selected for uh, the message. We'll be looking at Caleb, and we'll be specifically looking at Caleb when he makes his request uh, as he receives his inheritance in the promised land. So the, the passage that we'll be focusing on will be Joshua chapter 14, verses 6 through 15. However, before we touch on that passage, we're going to uh, take a look at James chapter 2 as kind of like uh, a brief introduction to get our minds set on a New Testament perspective that addresses a tension that exists throughout Scripture, that tension being uh, that we're saved by grace and there's nothing that we do in our lives that has any impact on our salvation. It's Christ's work on the cross that saves us wholly and completely and nothing else. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Uh, and this is under, understood through scripture alone and this is for God's glory alone. And yet, and yet, there are all these calls to obedience in scripture. They're all over the place. And as a theological point, if, if you think that you kind of understand this, I'd encourage you to maybe rethink that because every ordination exam that we give in the Southern New England Presbytery, we ask questions around this. And uh, the, the questions are very pointed. And one of the passages that's addressed is one of the passages that we'll be looking at here, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. And if I could get someone to uh, read that passage, is there a volunteer? Okay, Dave? What good is it, my brother, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? A brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. One of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, that if, if it does not have works, is dead. And someone will say, <clears throat> you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. If you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. 
take a look at uh, Joshua chapter 14, verses 6 through 15. So I'll be reading starting in verse 6 of Joshua chapter 14. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out, just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave, him he and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. So again, this, this will be the central passage. We'll also be taking a look at a couple of other passages. Now, in addition to this, we're going to take a look, a, a briefer look, at um, the, the passage where uh, in in Joshua, uh, just the, a few verses beyond what we read, we see Joshua actually taking uh, his inheritance in the promised land. We're also going to take a look back at that time when, as Joshua mentioned, uh, his, his fellow spies made the hearts of the people melt. Uh, and that was the predecessor to Israel having to spend uh, 40 years in the wilderness as a result of their lack of and then we're going to, if, if time allows, we'll take uh, a little, we'll, we'll pop back to that, uh, that time where uh, Joshua is in the heat of battle. And a statement that he says that uh, sometimes strikes uh, at least inquisitiveness in us as we seek to reconcile uh, the way that he approaches the battle and the way that he looks for a leader among his men. So 
first of all, we'll take a look at this passage over here. And in, uh, in verses, we'll take a look first at verses 6 through 8. Now, what does the narrative uh, show us about Caleb here as he is, he has come before Joshua and he's starting his request? What do we see uh, that's important to Joshua as he begins his request to receive his particular inheritance? Yes, Frank. Well, Joshua or Caleb are actually the only two left of that generation who, who actually saw all of the things that uh, the Lord did um, when they were uh, exiting Egypt. Because Joshua and Caleb are the only two of the 12 spies who, who were actually faithful. Yes, yes. So, so we, have, we have Caleb and Joshua. And they were, uh, they were real kindred spirits when it came to having to face down the mob after they came back from being spies in the promised land. And they're the ones who were faithful. Yes. And, yes, Teresa. I, I Teresa. think what he's emphasizing here is that way back in the desert for 40 years, though he was started out at 40 years, he's now 85. And he's, you know, so it's the 40 years that he went through the desert. Yeah, yeah. They were they were in the desert for, for uh, 40 years. For 40 years. Yeah. Anything else from verses uh, 6 through 8 here? Delivered the message and what he delivered. 
This is actually pretty important here because this strikes at the, the very core of the, uh, the tension that we have between faith and works. There's the idea that if we have faith and we trust God and we take him at his word, we'll do things. That's kind of a basic idea. But there's something that goes deeper here. He brings out the idea, I brought him word again as it was in my heart. So his message was, was different from the message that his cohorts brought. Now, do you think that his cohorts were bringing a message that was from their heart?
gives us uh, a, a picture that of, of what happened here. That yes, we see Caleb speaking from his heart. His his response is pretty short and sweet. After the report starts out and starts moving in the wrong direction, he says, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. And yet those who are with him, they come back and, and they make a strong assertion that we can't do this. Exactly. Now, this we're gonna we're gonna spend a little bit. 
time in this passage here uh, to address the, the point that, that Tim brought up about um, <clears throat> how they respond in, in chapter 14. First, after the, uh, after the bad report, then the whole crowd starts looking at how do we go back to Egypt? This is, this is too scary for us. And so um, what we see is that you know the congregation, I'll go ahead and read it, that all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So the mob is moving. And um, things are going to get worse after uh, Caleb shows his allegiance to God in the, in the next section here. First we see that Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And we know how this, the story continues after this, after God's intervention. Uh, they see God's glory. People come to their senses. But at that point, uh, at that point, it's too late. Now, the, the beauty of these narratives is that you can kind of think through what it must have been like to have the entirety of the nation of Israel against these four men. It's a giant mob. And uh, if, if you're a, a student of history, you know how mobs have reacted in the past. Like during the French Revolution, for example, as they were, as they were storming the palace, the Swiss Guard were there. These were like the crack troops of the world at that time. They were there to protect uh, the, the king from violence. But with, with, and, and there were like, I think there were like 400 of them. I don't know. I don't know if, if that number is 100% accurate, but it was in that number. They were well armed and they were warriors. But the mob that came, that was coming for the king, was a lot bigger. And if you know anything about history, they were actually torn loose from them, like torn apart. People were ripped apart physically as the mob came to get them. Now, 
the mob wasn't, you know, an entire nation, and the Swiss Guard 400 was a lot more than four. But you can imagine what it must have been like to see a mob that's screaming, that's ready to stone you. And yet these, these four men were standing up for truth in light of that. So, so Caleb's uh, faith and his character was forged in the crucible of certain death apart from God's intervention. That's, that's something that made him who was the man he was. And this is something that he could look back on 40 years later as a formative experience to know God's trustworthiness. Now this doesn't happen all the time. We know, for example, that Stephen stood up to a mob and he was stoned. And Christ stood up to a mob and he was crucified on our behalf. So the story doesn't always end well, but that's not the point here. I think what the narrative shows us is God forging the character in his people through their experiences in life and he gives us the opportunity to look back on that. So this is kind of like the formative experience. Now we're going to pop back over to our passage again. So in kind of this preamble, Caleb says, you'll look back on what happened, and, and you remember uh, how Moses made this promise. I said everything that was in my heart, which, as we look back on the evidence, he does. And so now what we see is his request. He takes a look at his, his physical abilities, and he says, I'm still able to go out and come in. I'm still physically capable of leading my people in war. I'm ready to go out and, and take the hill country. Give it to me. So as we take a look at, um, at how he words things, there was a way that he did, there was something that Tim brought up in the previous passage when, when he started it, uh, the quote. He mentioned that if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land. And he starts to show, he shows that same kind of tempered language here, where he says, um, it may be, yeah, it may be. So he doesn't, doesn't come out and say, doesn't come out and speak with like the same kind of confidence that he used when he said, we can go up and take this land. What's going on here? What do we see in, in, in Caleb when he says, it may be? Good illustration 
this juncture where you think that Caleb, with, with the wisdom of a, of a man of 85 years, might look back on things and have kind of a tempered view of what, what his expectations should be. While he has confidence in God and, uh, and he knows that God can do it, he's still not being presumptuous about it. And if you think about what's happened uh, and what, what will happen uh, as, they're, as, they're taking, as they've taken the promised land, if you look back on the incident with Achan, Achan's sin in Jericho, how it ended up leading to a, a subsequent military failure. So there might be something outside of, of, of Caleb's control where God may have different things organized in his, in his providential love that might cause him to fail in spite of the fact that he has confidence. Or he may make a mistake himself like he previously did as one of the leaders of Israel, uh, when it came to the, um, I can't think of the, the names of the him now, it's, I should have taken, put a note down on, on this, but I never forget it. The, uh, the people who pretended to be from a distant land, Gibeonites. yeah, the Gibeonites, where, where the Gibeonites fooled the leaders of Israel and they didn't consult God in their confidence that, oh, we got this, they made a decision apart from seeking God's will. And they made a mistake. So he looks back and he realizes that things don't always work out the way that you think they're going to work out. So he has a humility about things. He has a humility. He recognizes he doesn't know everything and he can't speak for God. But he does. He also knows that he can have confidence in the God that he serves. Tim, you were. I was just going to um, add to that, like what you said about Achan. Presumably, Caleb wasn't going to take over the whole country all by himself. It was his clan that was doing it, right? So we're excited that somebody could do something uh, like Achan did, as you said, out of their control. Yeah. And just to, to have the humility to recognize that we don't know what God has in store. Yet he's confident. Where, where in this passage do we see his confidence? We're back now in Joshua chapter 14, uh, towards the towards the latter half. Oh, my God. 
and he's looking, he's seeing himself now, he's seeing what he's capable of, and he's viewing his life in terms of how it can be useful to God. He sees himself as his usefulness to God. He's really united. And, and again, this goes back to that point earlier where he says, I brought him word again as it was in my heart. There's something about his heart.
some people who are kind of miraculously preserved. Uh, there was this one, uh, I wish I had all the details of it. It, it, was, it was something on PBS where they were talking about aging, how some people, while they're not impervious to aging, they seem to age uh, differently than the rest of us. And the example was a guy who was 90 years old and he still could run a 100 yard dash probably faster than most of the people in this room as a 90-year-old. So, so there, there's this way that, that God works in his creation where we kind of have an example of something that stands out like that. God did that kind of a work in the life of, of Caleb to, to make him able to do this so that now we can look back on God's preserving work in his life. The faith that he had as a result of God's preserving work in his life. And see how he lived in his narrative as part of God's canon now so that God through redemptive history is using all of these things that he organized so that we can better understand the faith. Scott. Uh, there's uh, another These spies aren't going to enter in except Caleb. And then later, uh, you know, Moses tells the people of all these words, and the people make another foolish decision. And, yeah. uh, so, you know, how formative must that be in Caleb's mind? Yeah. Uh, that uh, he was uh, singled out with Joshua uh, mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, it's like he, he, he's able to remember these things. Thinks about them; they inform his life as he looks back on God's faithfulness. And that's in verse twenty-three and twenty-four, where the Lord says, "Caleb doesn't have the same spirit as those other spies. Those other spies are going to pay a dear for each of the days that they that I sent them there, and for you know forty days or fifty years." Yeah. But doesn't 
talk about the, the boldness that he had. And then, now, now we're going to take a quick look at him uh, going into the promised land and, and how, how things worked uh, when it came to, to conquering the land.
was obviously a guy there who uh, my wife and I said, yeah, he's, he's interesting, Becky, you know. I mean, we picked it up. It's not, it's not like it's rocket science. <laughs> so when, when we look at these narratives, it's, it's, it's helpful to kind of really look at them. You, you don't want to read too much into it because you only want to go by what's in God's word. There's actually a passage that I don't know if we'll have time to get to uh, that I wanted to address where um, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, where, where the Apostle Paul says in verse 6, you know, he's, he's talking about a, a, a concept that hopefully we'll be able to get to before we close here, where he says, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up. So it's like, we don't want to go beyond what's written here. But by the same token, there's certain rhythms of life that you
there are some tribes who don't take the land that they were given, and they go look for something that's easier to take. And we'll see in Joshua, when the land is being partitioned, that that people start, that, that there's, there are groups that ask for an easier job than the one that they're given. And Joshua says, here it is, take it. He, he doesn't back down. So the, this is a time where they're, show, they're demonstrating their faith by what they do. So now, taking a step back and kind of trying to wrap everything up and summarize it, we, we, you know, we've talked about faith here. Uh, we, we've talked about the humility that accompanies an accurate faith, one that recognizes that, you know, as we learned from a, a great lesson uh, on the life of Job, you know, the things that happen to you are not always connected to what you believe or what you're expecting or what's happened in the past. So to have the humility to recognize that things might not go the way you'd like but also to have the boldness, the confidence to look to the God who has done what he has done in the past and know that he's going to preserve us and, and protect us. So like, how do we get to this point? Like, this, is a real, this is a real challenge because like, we know all this stuff, but how do you connect them together so that you know, in our lives we get to experience this same kind of unity where you have to get a balance of humility uh, with a, a sense of boldness, humility that comes from knowing that we don't know God's will, boldness that comes from looking at the promises of God. And then we act. You know, we, we have a faith, a living faith, that's accompanied by words. So, so how do we get to that point? in front of 
the other and be faithful. And they're not super challenging. It's, it's telling the truth when it's hard. Not when it's like super hard, just like, like I'll have kind of a, a, a confession to make here about not always being entirely honest with my wife um, when she asks me, trying to help me with my rhythms in life to, to get more rest, and, and I entrust her for that. And so <clears throat> I have this bad habit that I cultivated on purpose, which is to not look at the clock when I'm working. Kind of went overboard. 
because I wanted to be safe, I said, you know, I went to bed a little bit before two. And, and she said, you know, uh, I got up at two o'clock and you were in bed. And because she was expecting me when I said a little bit before two, but I'm kind of in the neighborhood, you know, plus or minus, I might not have been there. So she was kind of surprised. She said, you know, you're gonna, uh, and I said, well, that's why I said a little bit before two, because I know, I know that it was before two, I just don't know how much before, and I wanted to be, I wanted to be safe. Speaking of the time. Yeah, <laughs> speaking of the time, I, well, I, well, I've come up on the hour, I'm 10 minutes late, because I got here 10 minutes late, so. Uh, with that in mind, uh, if there are any other uh, concluding thoughts, if there are any concluding thoughts. Well, so just, um, you kind of started off in James chapter two, and mm -hmm. I was just also kind of reminded, because uh, you talked about the relationship between faith and obedience, and I think to Ephesians chapter two, where uh, Paul talks about how, you know, faith is a gift of God, it's by grace, but we were created to do good works. So I think that's the, the relationship, and that's that the act of obedience. God actually created us to, to do good works, and so it's uh, it, it's actually a measure of our faith when we act when we act in Yeah, yeah. In one of those sayings that captures that saved by faith alone, so the faith that saves is never alone. Yeah, it, it has those that always that we were intended to walk in. We always have those. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do rejoice that, uh, that you have saved us from our sins and that uh, you promised through your prophet Ezekiel uh, to give us hearts of flesh, to replace our hearts of stone, and to put your spirit within us to move us to do your will. We ask, Lord, that you would give us uh, the faith that Caleb demonstrated, uh, the faith that James commends with 